I'm Cindy Boxer, and you are listening to the Fiber Artist Podcast, where we chat with artists, makers, and creatives who work with fiber, get to know their stories, how they came upon their fiber practice, and more about the person behind the work. Hey there, fiber lovers. Thanks for tuning into the Fiber Artist Podcast today. Okay, right up top, I want to let you know about a special discount I'm offering to my listeners. You can shop neuromastudio.com using the code PODSQUAD and get 25% off your next two orders. It doesn't matter if you've been a longtime customer or if this is your first or second order. You can get 25% off anything in the shop. Head over to neuromastudio.com to stock up on all your cotton rope or string, recycled sari silk, cotton frizz ribbons, recycled chiffon, or art yarns. This week's episode is with Andia Ray. Andia is a substance use counselor by day and fiber artist and indie dyer by nights and weekends. This was a really vulnerable episode for me. I share parts of my past that I rarely discuss, even in my real life. Um, I guess I should say up front, here's my official trigger warning. We definitely talk quite a bit about eating disorders, substance use, and recovery. Um, so if this is an issue for you, while I encourage you to still listen and share and um you know, sharing our stories, I would totally understand if you can't. Anyway, um, this one really hit me home, hit home for so many reasons and in so many ways. And what better time? September is National Recovery Month, a time that we highlight and increase awareness surrounding mental health and substance abuse. But I mean, I guess that's kind of weird. Shouldn't every month be that way? Anyway, uh, if you're out there struggling or in recovery, we see you, we are you, we're here. If you want to reach out, you can email me at thefiberartistpodcast at gmail.com. I would definitely love to hear from you. Um, and you can see more of Andia's work and unique, really impeccably dyed beautiful rope at andiaray.com. That's A-N-D-E-E-A-R-A-E.com. Or you can find her on Instagram at Andia Ray Fiber Art. And real quick, if you enjoy these podcasts, it would mean the world to me if you could go over um, to YouTube and find the Fiber Artist Podcast on YouTube and subscribe over there. And better yet, if you're able to watch our episodes on YouTube, that's that was that would be super helpful. Anyway, um, okay, without further ado, here is Andia Ray. I hope you enjoy this episode. So where in the world are you? I know, but let, let's let everyone else know. Yes, I am in Portland, Oregon. Awesome. And I've, but I've been in Minnesota and also New York for other, before I ended up here. But pretty sure I'm staying planted here. It's so beautiful. Oh, good. It's, you know, so that's pretty. one place I've never visited yet, and I, like, I'm dying to go. Um, maybe I guess when some of this COVID craziness is hopefully over, we can let more travel yeah. happen, you know, but <laughs> right. everything I've heard about it For is sure. so great. And, um, yeah, I'd love to visit there one day. Um, so I have to tell you, I'm like, my hands are actually really clammy right now <laughs> because <laughs> it's weird. I don't actually get nervous, um, to do these anymore because I've done so many, but like, I'm really nervous to talk to you. And I think it's because I think we're going to hit on some really personal subjects for me. Um, 
And it's so weird. Like, I actually didn't feel nervous <laughs> until like two minutes ago. And then I was like, why are my hands so sweaty right now? Oh. Um, so first, Thank I guess... Thank you for being so vulnerable. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> well, I guess before we get into the really, I guess, deep stuff, um, uh, can you just introduce yourself, let everybody know where they can find you up top, and um, and then we'll sort of get into your fiber journey. Yeah. So, um, I, oh my gosh. So you asked, <laughs> you asked me where, what, I'm sorry. Oh. I was going to say something and then, can you just repeat Oh, that? yes. How, where can people find you online first? Okay. Okay. Yes. Uh, um, Andia Ray Fiber Art is where they can find me on Instagram or okay. you all can find me on Instagram. Now I am on Facebook. But I'm not really on there. <laughs> I post to it, but I'm not active on it. Okay. So everything loads in there, but I'm not as I'm not on there as frequently. As yeah, that's the same I way. That's the same way I do mine. Is. Yeah, it's mostly Instagram, and you just have it automatically go to Facebook. And yeah, I know it's hard to manage so many channels. It's you know that alone is like a full time job. Yeah, exactly. I am on Pinterest as the same. I try to keep it the same everywhere. My website is andiaray.com or andiarayfiberart.com. And then my um, Ravelry, where my knitwear designs are loaded into, uh, where people can purchase patterns, is andiaray. And (laughs) the little shop put andiaray designs. And so that's the name of the shop. It kind of loads in that way. Okay. Um, but so, but if they put in NDA right, it, my profile will come up. Okay. Uh, and I think those are the main ones that okay. I'm on. Awesome. Um, yeah, and yeah. we'll have it posted in the um, like the podcast information too, so people can find you there. Um, awesome. All right. So first, um, I guess if you can just let us know, how did you come about finding fiber in your life? Was it in your childhood? Um, and what was your first experience with making, um, yes. using using fiber? Yeah. So my grandma, my grandma on my mother's side, she has always sewed and she taught me how to sew by hand. So I can sew on a sewing machine. I don't do it as often. So I always have to like reteach myself, but I learned how to sew by hand when I was very young, she would make like these little hearts and these little dolls and like these boots. And she'd go around the town and she'd like give them to business, like everywhere she frequented. (laughs) So everyone would have something from my grandma Carol in our small little town that we lived in. That's so cute. I can totally hear your Minnesota coming out, by the way. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Oh yeah. It'll come out. Um, And my mom taught me how to crochet when I don't even know, like probably when I was like, I think before I even was in school. Oh, wow. And I remember all that I could do was a single chain. <laughs> so I would just make crochet single chains, single chains. And um, I, w- I remember specifically this necklace. It had a little wood A. And my mom put it on one of the, the chains that I crocheted. And I'd wear it as a necklace all the time. And, of course, I colored on it. And it was Hor- horrific looking, you know. <laughs> so my first little craft project was that necklace. Oh, that's awesome. So that's when I first remember um, really being. Uh, but then it didn't. It didn't really stick. I 
didn't really crochet or, or, or knit. Like I didn't know how to knit. I, I learned how to knit only like about four years ago. Oh. So that it was, it was, that was like my first, um, introduction, I guess, is the hand sewing and the crocheting. Now my mom also sewed and she would make like in the eighties, she'd make like the big bows, uh, with the clips. Oh, nice. And, <laughs> and we would model them and she'd take pictures of them in our hair. And then she'd also make like wedding veils and oh, things wow. for, um, for people. So there was that too. So, uh, I grew up where, so my mom was a stay-at-home mom and, but very entrepreneurial. And my dad, my dad always worked full time. Okay. So the oldest of seven. Oh, wow. That's a big family. (laughs) Oldest of seven. Oh my gosh. So you probably had to sort of raise your brothers and sisters a little bit, kind of? Yep. Yep. I grew up helping out a lot. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so now you do a lot of indie, well, we say indie dyeing, what I just mean is hand dyeing, um, rope. Um, how did you get started in that? So that is actually where you come in, you and a couple other people that I had listened to when I was first like learning how to macrame and, and I was dabbling in weaving and all of the things. And I was like, I want to find my own little niche how can I do that? Well, I was knitting and I, I mean, the yarn that these indie dyers dye is speckled and it has all the color. And like my neutral is like neon. (laughs) Uh, So I just am just was always attracted to those beautiful skeins of yarn. And I was like, why isn't this on the rope? Like who, what, why are we just getting solids and natural? I have wondered the same thing. Because yeah. I feel like the yarn community has been doing it for a long time. And, you yes. know, it's like, uh, it's not hard to find, you know, like every knitting website or every yarn shop you go to is going to have like, they have a huge array of hand dyed and indie dyed yes. yarns. And you're right. It's completely not found in the rope um, industry, except I guess that's where you come in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I've seen. I had seen like people have like a few like people. It's not like I'm the first one to dye rope. Like let's be real, people dye their rope. They uh, they call it tie dyeing, but really when you're tie dyeing, you're you're having a resistance, mm-hmm. and you can tie dye rope, but you won't see it as well. I guess I mean it it'll be a, a gradient, right, or or whatever. Right. But it lots of just solid colors, not lots of, uh, no speckling. I've never seen the speckling on it. So I was just like, I want to do this. And I had the idea in my head for years, like a couple of years before I actually was like, okay, I need to do this. Mm -hmm. So I contacted, uh, so my one of my local yarn shops in Minnesota was called Stephen B. And what, and the first like intermediate, like knitting project I did was an Andrea Maori shawl. And the kit that I got for that shawl was by an indie dyer, Samantha from Lavender Loon. And so that was like the w- one indie dyer that I like my first purchase of like expensive yarn for this big project that was going to just be beautiful. And so when I had the idea, I was like, she's from Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota. Let me contact Samantha. Maybe she can tell me how to do what she does on the yarn uh, 
oh, that is where my learning began. Oh, because that's awesome. I'm so glad she was responsive. Did you just sit yeah. one-on-one with her or did you, it was this over, all over the internet or how did how did she do it? Yeah, it was over the internet because she's like way up north in Minnesota, like, I don't know, probably six or eight hours away or something. So she, I remember I was at work actually, and we did like a, a FaceTime. And I remember just like, I was so excited that none of my thoughts probably <laughs> like, like matched. And I just remember her just kind of being there like, yeah, yeah, like I, I can, I can try it. We can do some tests. So I, I hand warp all of the skeins. So I, I did like 10 or 11, however many I could fit in a box. Mm-hmm. And I sent them to her and she dyes wool. Well, I didn't know anything about dyeing. You cannot dye how she dyes. You cannot put that on cotton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, cellulose fibers, protein fibers, they're different. So she, we, we did, she did some testing and she sent it back to me. And, um, during that first test, she had also contacted like one of her friends who does dye a lot of cotton, uh, yarn. And she sent me back this box and I was like, mind blown. Oh, wow. I was mind blown. I was like, oh, this is what I wanted. I was so excited. And I was like, okay, so now I need to send her another box. So I sent her another box and she sent me back this beautiful speckled rope and I was like did the math and I was like this is not sustainable uh-huh. I I cannot because con- I was paying for the shipping there and back and then also paying her to dye each skein mm-hmm. and at the end of the day I'm like losing money <laughs> so I was like oh my god how am I going to be able to to do this so I I was like maybe if I just ask her like I didn't know if that was like stepping out of my bounds like like, I felt like I was asking her for the secret. Right. <laughs> like, like how, how, how do you do this? And she was like, oh, my gosh, India. She's like, I'm getting ready for all these yarn shows. She's like, I actually don't have time to do a large quantity like you want. I would love to teach you how to do this. Oh, that's and wonderful. And it was literally, yeah, it was literally, like, just a few little videos. She texted them to me. I went to the store. I got what I needed. And actually, the room I'm sitting in is where it started, I was able to only dye as many skeins that could fit on the floor in a, you know, like at Thanksgiving, if you need like a t- tin foil, like bigger oh, the, the thing big for ones. your yeah. turkey, yep. it was one skein in each of those. So oh, I don't wow. know, I could probably fit like maybe 12 of them on the floor in here. Mm-hmm. And that's how it started. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so when, uh, around when was that? Like That was... Probably a a year. Well, I've been here in Portland a year. That was actually a few months before we even knew we were moving to Portland. So okay. a little little over a year, I think. All right. Or cool. maybe a year and a half. I'm so there. glad that she was open to sharing with you. I mean, what it's, it's that kind of generosity of the spirit that can help all of us, you know, get started and going. So it's wonderful. Yes, I am ever grateful for her. She and she's still like, if I have a couple questions, she's still very responsive. And if she doesn't know the answer, she'll guide me in the right direction. Oh, that's but great. I've just learned so much since then that I got a hang of it. Yeah, you know? I mean, there's there's <laughs> this evolution on your Instagram feed where you can really see where you start to get really into it and where 
I don't know, it's like the the pops of color start coming out more crisp and like it, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I encourage people to go check out your Instagram. And and oh, speaking of Instagram and probably I think like the thing is that I've been I've known of you for a long time and I've been following you for a while. Um, but I think it was one post in particular that really struck a chord with me and um and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since I saw it. And that was your um series of photos where you shared your experience with your eating disorder and substance use. Um, here, I actually, I can bring it up. I know how to screen share now. Awesome. <laughs> so we're yes, going to add it to the YouTube. Have a reference. Yeah. So you're going to add it to the YouTube video. I hope you guys go watch it. Um, hold on. Let's see. Okay. I think it's working. So this series, can you see it? Yep. Okay. Um, it hit me hard, really, really hard, um, because I also suffered an eating disorder for many, many years in my teens and early twenties. It's been a long time, but, um, and I'm, and actually substance use probably is tied in there (laughs) for, for real. Um, let me see if I can just move forward. There's another one. Um, so if for you who are just listening, um, she has, uh, a few photos up where um, she's sort of vomiting into the toilet, uh, beautifully <laughs> dyed string. So that contrast is really, <laughs> it's really something. But for me, it I spent so many years over the toilet the same way. So um, yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about your experience and how this series of photos came about? Um, I mean, yes. this is, I assume this is going to be a long story and I am in for it. And I'm excited. To Not excited, but I am. Um, it's weird. This is a story I've really rarely shared too in my life, even in my, even with friends. And it's also just been a really long time. But um, yeah, so if you can just tell yeah, the sure. listeners how well, there's parts about. to this story. So the, the for just to get out of the way, it's for the photos. So what I really wanted to do with my cord is use that as an art form to share the message of just mental health awareness. Mm-hmm. So I have a bunch of ideas in my head. This is just was just one of them that I wanted to do for National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. I volunteered at NIDA when I lived in New York City. And um, so NIDA has a place in my heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I'm getting tearful. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, I really wanted people to, you know, we scroll on Instagram and we all like just, you know, like the pictures. So we're supporting the people that we're following and it's, it can be very mindless. And I wanted to stop people in their tracks. And so that is what I want to do with, with these pictures. Same with the picture of the wig that I made, the, the blonde Mm -hmm. hair. Yes. And, um, how, how I related that to irrational thinking. Um, so that is the reason the photos came about. It's because I wanted to use the cord to deliver those types of messages. And really, like, now I don't want anyone to think that I'm being judgmental at all because there's nothing wrong with alcohol. It's, you know, for me, I'm a grateful human in recovery. If I put substances in my body, <laughs> bad things happen. 
they say I break out in handcuffs or whatever you want to say. <laughs> I'm allergic because I break out in handcuffs. Um, and I, it, it is not a coping skill that worked for me. Mm-hmm. I used for 12 years and I've been in recovery for 13 years. Mm-hmm. So when I was young, I grew up in a very small town. Kids are mean. Uh, someone told me I was too fat to be their gym partner. And that was really because I was already insecure because, you know, we're in high school. I was going to say, what grade? Well, okay, this was seventh grade. So in the small town I lived, it was one or kindergarten through six was in one school. Mm-hmm. And then seven through 12 was in the high school. Okay. So it wasn't, I know in bigger cities, there's like middle schools and all the things. So we're, in, we are all in high school at this point, but I'm really in junior high if, to pe- put it in perspective or whatever. So that I was like, oh, I am like, maybe that's why, you know, people don't like me. <laughs> you know, you, we start to have all these of course, yeah. thoughts and make up these stories. And so I had went to the library. This is like really weird how my eating disorder developed. I think it's odd. I went to the library and found all the books that I could. They were all fiction. They were the author, uh, Stephen Levencron. And one was called Kessa. The other one was called The Best Little Girl in the World. Oh, I don't know I if read you're that familiar one. with those. I read The Best yes. Little Girl, yeah. And so I read those books and I was like, well, I was thinking that it would help me like, because I knew that I didn't, I, well, maybe it was subconsciously. I like. I was like, well, if I if I do something about this, it's gonna fix the problem. So I don't know. I was like, well, maybe I need an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I was thinking, but that's what I went out to do. I was like, I need to know how other girls deal with this, and so that's how I I did it. And I actually I did I tried to um, starve myself. That didn't work. It's really hard I to do that. Not, I think I was not the kind of person who could do that. <laughs> and so the only other alternative was to to teach and, and and to teach myself how to throw up. Right. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know I had. I had remembered reading like some of the signs that people look for. So I never used my hand. I always used something. I hope that I'm not like grossing people out. No, I think like that's how I learned. Yeah, That's it. And that's how, what I did. And then I just did that all the way up until about, I was 17. And at the time there were, there methamphetamines didn't really exist. What existed in, when I used was this drug called crank Mm -hmm. and it was very nasty. It was made in like just very bad environment. It was all chemicals and that's what I used. And it very quickly, I realized, wow, this is the best diet pill ever. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't need to throw up my, my, uh, so I was in treatment for eating disorder, like, for a very short amount of time, it was like for thirty days uh, at the Mayo Clinic. And when, how old were you when you finally sought treatment? So that was when I was—I think I was sixteen or seventeen because I didn't graduate, okay. and I must have been in eleventh grade. Okay, or I, or I was in tenth grade because I actually remember my health teacher asked me to come and talk to the class, which I was terrified. I was like, "These are all the kids who hate me." 
Wait, like, she wanted asking, you to talk to your talk to the class about your eating disorder? He did, yeah. Wow. Because he knew that I had treatment and he wanted, you know, that when that lesson came up, he was like, would you mind talking oh. about your story? And I was like, uh, I don't – honestly, I blacked out. I don't yeah, remember what yeah. I was – At that age, I, I cannot I, imagine having to do that. That's a lot of sharing. For, and I you're remember all- he – yeah. Right. I, I would just like in that environment, like of the, yeah, but he was very, um, he, he, he knew something was wrong. Uh, and so he was one of the people who kind of, you know, I, I don't even remember if I actually asked for help if my parents like forced me, I, I'm pretty sure I didn't want to be there. I wasn't even, I was on the children's ward because the adolescence ward was full. So I was in with, Little, little very kids? young, oh, like very young kids, like yeah, <laughs> awkward. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was quite awkward. How do you, I um... remember I got to go on a walk one time with everyone else who was upstairs, and it, oh, that wow. was awkward too because like I don't know you guys, but yeah. <laughs> um did did you feel like the treatment? I mean, so thirty days with a bunch of little kids, did that help at all? No, no. I it, that after that is when I discovered kind of I mean I had always drank when I was like younger but honestly drinking has a lot is a lot of calories mm-hmm. so I would always have to worry about where I could go because I would binge that um I didn't like the way it, alcohol made me feel oh, I didn't. actually didn't like the way any anything made me feel if it made me tired Oh, I that's so terrified. interesting. That's so opposite for me. Like the after I had my first drink, I was like, "This is how I want to feel for the and rest." That is of my what life. many people say. Yeah, <laughs> but for me, it was the it was the crank. I was like, oh. "This is the thing. This is how I. This is fixing all my problems. Yeah, I don't have to worry about throwing up. I don't have to worry about you don't have to eat. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to eat anything. And yeah, it was so you know with. Mo- so let's just to put this so people know, like 90% of people who seek uh, alcohol and drug treatment is there, they have some type of mental health, like a co-occurring disorder, we call it, right? Mm-hmm. So that was my co-occurring disorder. If I wasn't uh, using, then definitely my eating disorder went mm-hmm. up. So it was either I was doing one or the other. Well, eventually I wasn't able to uh, you know, throw up anymore because the doctors were like, if you continue to do this, you're going to blow out your esophagus and all all these problems. Um, I, like, I remember like I was in, I remember what house we lived in. I remember like I had, I I thought I was going to die in that moment. I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, here, here it is. This is, they're going to find me laying right here Mm -hmm. because it felt like a baseball was trying to come up Mm -hmm. and like something wasn't right anymore. Like this isn't how it normally goes. Mm -hmm. And so that I went to the doctor and they were like, you're, you cannot continue. This is not a way to live. This is a way to die type of conversation. Did you have thoughts while those things were happening that you would just sort of, I mean, I'm projecting here, but I would wish for death. Like I was like, um, this, this will be the one that will give me the heart attack, you know? And like, I don't think I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I had any suicidal ideations at that time. However, I had a lot of suicidal ideations prior to my drug use Mm. because 
just like kids are mean. And then when people realized that I had that, like the eating disorder that drew attention to me, that wasn't like good attention. Yeah. Um, I remember when I got back and people had like, I don't, it's a small town. Everyone knew why I was gone. People were a little bit nicer, but it didn't last for very long. <clears throat> so yeah. it, you know, it was still, it, and then I ended up just quitting school one day. In high school, <laughs> I, during high school? Yes. I remember going to my locker and I'm like, I just don't want to get in trouble for not handing in my books. So I like waited for the front desk lady to be gone. And there was like this shelf bef- when you walked into the door, it was a glass door so they could see me. And I remember putting my books on the little shelf that was right there. And I just running. Ran, ran to my grandma's house. Oh, wow. <laughs> I told my mom to pick me up. And um, yeah, so and now I have a master's degree. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you didn't quit high school. You just quit for that day. I, I quit. No, I quit high school. <laughs> and I didn't graduate. But and then, you know, when, years later, I was like, I, I went to makeup school. I was a makeup artist for about 10 years in my active use because I used all through that time. Oh, wow. And then, um, and then uh, I moved to New York, actually, because <clears throat> my best friend died. And I was like, oh, my God, if I don't stop this way of living, I'm going to die as well. So I did your best friend die of drug use. It was a car accident, but oh, okay. it was drug use related. related. Yes. Okay. Yep. So um, I'm so sorry. It's... Yeah. So okay. that was very, that was a long time ago. And and that's why I moved. My mom was like, your brother's moving to New York City. You're going with him. So I didn't have, like, I didn't know about support groups. I didn't know about anything. I just knew that that was me starting my life over. I got a job. I worked at Mario Badescu Skincare. And at the time, like, that was my dream job. I was like, I'm going to work at this, like, beautiful salon That's in New so York City. That's so funny. I've been there picking up the drying <laughs> lotion. Oh, my gosh. Yep. So I worked in the back answering uh, calls, emails and doing all of that and doing skincare consultations. And I was the makeup artist there during the time I worked there. And I just stopped everything. Oh, wow. I didn't have any treatment or anything. And that's one of the reasons like being a counselor is so dear to my heart because only 11 people or 11 percent of people get treatment. I was part of the 89 percent who didn't. Mm -hmm. And so what I like the knowledge and the education that I am able to, you know, give people is like really dear to my heart because, oh my God, would I have loved to know what was going on with me Mm -hmm. in my early recovery? I just didn't. And, you know, I was in, uh, uh, my undergrad and I was studying psychology and a man, and this always makes me tear up, a man came in and he told a story and it was the teacher's friend and he was a member of AA and NA. And I remember sitting there and I was like, Oh my God, there's, I'm sorry. There's meetings I could have been going to this whole time. At this point, Cindy, I had been sober for like seven years oh, wow. just doing it. Like what we call in the program, white knuckling it. Yeah like with nothing. Now I probably maybe knew what AA was, but I, since I didn't identify as being an alcoholic, I just didn't realize that there was a whole community for people who were like me. And I just remember being like, 
oh my God, there's someone else like me. Right. I know. And we have this image of AA where it's just like in a dingy church basement and like every movie version of the AA experience is like these old, I don't know, veterans and like just people you think you're not going to relate to. But when you get down to everybody's story is, has so many common threads. It's, you know, like the reason we do what we do or the, just the, you know, the, even like the biology or the DNA that leads us there. And, um, yeah. you know, it's weird because everybody's stories actually are really similar. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, but, yeah, there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So at this point you moved to New York, how old are you? Um, I, when I moved to New York, I think I was 29. Okay. So I was 28 or 29. And at that point you had yeah. already been sober for seven years, you're saying. Like, did you kick no, it? No, oh, that okay. was when my... Yeah, because I'm 43. I'm going to be 43 next or in November. I'm almost 43. So, yeah. So that was when when I moved to New York with my brother, I stopped everything. Okay. Yep. I stopped. I was like, okay, so I'm going to eat. Oh, and then moving to New York City, eating like organic. I was like, if I eat really good food, I won't. If it's good and healthy for my body, if it's nutritious, I won't want to throw it up. And mm-hmm. that was literally like, I mean, that is not a way to do it. Right. <laughs> that right. is not the way to do it. Um, but you did. I, it worked for you. I have since is- gotten therapy and worked through all this stuff. And yeah. <laughs> Well, I know. I but, think I think sometimes the obsession to eat really healthy also is its own problem, you know? Yes, orthorexia. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, and that was definitely something that that I had, for sure. I did all the things. Uh, I was vegan. I, I was all the different kinds of whatever you could be um, because that was just a way. So for me, bulimia was a way to control and not mm. feel my feelings. So was my drug use. And so that was the, the, you know, my eating, it just morphs into something else because mm-hmm. nothing was being addressed. Right, right. <laughs> the problem is still there. It just manifests in different ways. Yep. Yeah. So And shopping. I don't uh, need yeah. shopping addiction too. Oh, God. And, in and, New York and, City. I mean, who doesn't have a shopping addiction? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, and, and now my value system has changed so much. Like, I call it my materialism. Like I'm, I'm removed from it now. And it's Mm -hmm. so freeing, um, to grasp just the concepts of minimalism. And, and that's actually some of the reasons why I have certain products that I want to develop because I want to share like that with other people. And if they, you know, they don't like it, then, you know, I'll buy it. But like, there's one of the things I'm doing is I, I want my, my soap on a rope made with my soap or my rope. Oh, I mean. that's awesome. So, so I'm just developing certain things and it's all based on the fact that I have adapted just new ways of thinking mm-hmm. and yeah. And I want stories in my Instagram with my using my cord as a, just a tool of expression, if you will. Mm-hmm. But yeah, getting all these messages out to people every and everything I've learned over time about myself, like people don't talk about it. Oh, this actually ties back to what I was going to say a little bit ago. So um, when I was saying uh, about like, there's nothing wrong with alcohol. So I've seen in the 
you know, the knitting community, the, 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 just the community in general, fiber community, you know, having like knit nights with your glass of wine. And like, there are people that are going to recovery and they actually find the fiber arts as mm -hmm. a healing. So we, so, so I ran, I hosted or ran a knitting circle at um, Stephen B for a few months before I moved and I really hope to do that again because it was an artful, it was called an artful recovery and it was a knitting circle for people in recovery. It wasn't a meeting. It was talked about, we talked about whatever, usually our whips, our projects we were working on, right? And that was ugh, such a, I really want to do that again. I, one of my goals is to have people in this community start talking about things mm -hmm. because that is how we heal. The opposite of addiction is connection. And that's the same when it comes to, you know, our mental health. And I think that everyone's on a, like, everyone has some kinds of, some type of like trauma or pain in their life. It's mm -hmm. of course on a spectrum. Of course, there's people who have, you know, PTSD and then there's the, our little traumas and our little traumas build up. And that's all of it. Cause I mean, I grew up and I would, I grew up, my parents are lovely people. My family, I, I love my family. I wasn't, um, I didn't grow up in, you know, a bad environment or if you will, or mm -hmm. whatever. And, but the little traumas they, and the big ones, they add up. And when we're in, we can't suppress it. Mm -hmm. I should just talk in I statements. I can't suppress it. I couldn't suppress yeah. it any longer. Mm -hmm. It had to come out. And I want, and I, and, and I just hope that by sharing and sh telling like, my story that people are like, Oh, it's okay to talk about this. Yes. It's okay to talk about it. It has to be processed through yeah. so we can move on and just enjoy and be in the present. That's what life, life is about. I feel. Absolutely. No. Um, I know. So you've since become a full-time um, substance use counselor. Um, mm -hmm. How did, and when did that? So that, yes. So when that man came, and talked in the, it was a behavioral pharmacology class. So I remember the first day of that class, she was like, sometimes it's going to feel like I'm teaching you how to use drugs. Cause we were learning about all the drugs. And I remember just being fascinated, like, Oh my God, this is what I, I put that into my body. And I just remember being so grateful for my body. And especially also that same semester I had biology or, or, uh, or anatomy and physiology, one of the two, and just being so amazed that what I put my body through it, like, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm so blessed. I have all my teeth and I, no organs shut down, yeah. like just being so, so grateful. And when I learned about when that guy came and spoke and I learned all of those things and it was pretty much a perfect storm. And also around that same time, my dad died. Yeah. And that was the, if you have not lost a parent, as the uh, of all the the loss I've you know or the people I've lost in my life that was the that was grief like no other grief I've experienced mm -hmm. and so I wanted to move home possibly that was one option the other option was to stay in New York and become a physical therapist because every all the work I was doing up until that point was to become a physical therapist I had all my hours in as an intern and when that guy came to speak, I was like, 
And I remember talking to my teacher because she let me take the exam because I had to go home for my dad's funeral and there was an exam. And so I was in her office taking the exam and I told her, I'm like, I wonder if I should be, I should be a drug counselor. And she was like, I think that because at that time, like after I went to a couple meet that guy, he took me to the meetings because oh, wow. at the end of the class, I was like, take me to your people. So he took me to an AA meeting. He took me to an NA meeting. I told my professor about it and she was so happy for me. And she thought that was a great idea. And she encouraged me to do that. And so I, um, no one was living with my mom at the time. So I moved home to be with my mom and because she was obviously going through a very um, hard time losing her husband and our father. So that is when my journey started with wanting to help other people. Cause I w- just remember him sharing his story and I, how I affected by it. Mm-hmm. I was. And so I was just like, I want to learn all, everything about it. And I remember being in like the orientation and they were talking about recovery. And I was so new at this point, like, like, I mean, I, at the orientation for school, <laughs> they were talking about, they were, people were talking like they, they'd say the word recovery. And I was kind of like, recovery recovery from what like what what I didn't understand yeah like that is how what little it was so fresh for you that's crazy yes and I was like and then you know it all started to click and I'm like my gosh I should be knowing that term it's (laughs) amazing though how um people can come into our lives and I mean so unexpected and it clicked like it's that revelation where you're just like, this feels right. This feels right. Yeah. And even now when you're talking about it, you get so excited. I can see it like in your face and hear it in your voice that like it was this huge eureka moment for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I I very much love uh, doing, doing both. It's quite the balance doing this business and, and being a counselor, but yeah, I'm making it work. Um, so with, with doing that full time, um, what do you think it was that sort of brought you to come that brought you back to the fiber arts? Were you practicing or like knitting or crocheting during this whole time, like on the side just for fun or? So it was the end of grad school. Um, I actually met my husband mm-hmm. <laughs> in grad school. So we both are, the, we do the same job and, um, Oh, wow. You both. He, and he wanted to learn how to heavy. knit. And he, yeah, he had always wanted to learn how to crochet. He wanted to learn how to knit. So I was like, okay, yeah, you want to do it with me? That's even better. So we went and we took a little knitting class at this, at this place. I remember it was around, it was winter. It was around like Christmas time. We made a, a cowl and it had buttons. So we learned how to make button hole and, um, yeah, I just remember the, the I remember the woman she she saw me she there was three of us in the class, me, my husband and this other woman. And I remember she'd come she'd work around the table and she'd be like, "Oh, you're going to be fine." <laughs> like cuz I was just like and now prior to that, my mom had retaught me how to crochet. And my mom was like we were both sitting on the couch like watching something. And my mom's watching me like she had just taught me what to do and I'm like, yeah, I got it. I can do it. So I'm doing it. And I don't know if it's just like my personality or what, but she's like, loosen up a little bit. You shouldn't be picking the, the yarn. Like I was had to lift cause I was crocheting so tight. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, maybe, maybe you should learn how to knit. <laughs> 
<laughs> because, and as soon as I picked up Nana Nails, I was like, oh, I am home. That's so like, funny. I'm so the opposite, actually, because like I knit really tightly. I think it's because I started I'm with macrame first. Yeah, like I knit too, too tightly. But then I find with crochet, it just – it flows easier somehow. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm the, and I'm opposite. the opposite. I am a tighter knitter than I am a, a looser knitter. Okay. But yeah, it's like a weird others, thing you have to learn. You just have to learn to like – I don't know. Yeah, literally loosen up like your whole body <laughs> in a way. Yes. Yep. And I just fell in love with it and I been doing some designing and I'm learning how to I mean I have a pattern writer that I collaborate with so, and um I'm learn like I've, I have a couple design and I'm a slow knitter because I'm dying so much. Oh yeah. I, I mean because it takes a long that time. I don't always yeah. get to my project so there's a couple there's three patterns that I'm that I want to release and the patterns that ha- the two that have released and the third one that's releasing are all with, with this um, this pattern writer I'm working with. So nice. it's, uh, yeah, it's really exciting. It's so fun. I want to create like a capsule kind of layers, things that, because when you knit something, I mean, it's time consuming. Oh, yeah. Like my that shawl I was talking about took me like a year to knit that shawl. I know. This is why I don't knit a lot. I mean, I I've made like know. three things. I've, like, I've made three beanies and I have a sweater kit from We Are Knitters from over a year ago that's literally still in the box that was shipped in because I'm like, it just all takes too long. But Well, it, it, you know that I learned knitting ch- with, well, when I learned knitting, it was a worsted weight yarn, but knitting uh, with chunky yarn, that really helped. So I I knit a lot of loopy mango sweaters Mm -hmm. when I first learned because such a sense of accomplishment and learning the uh, construction of a garment Mm -hmm. um, helped me like, you know, okay, I see how things are put together now. And um, yeah, but this shawl is very large. So this is the lavender loon yarn that I was in my story. Oh, and it's the lace, like the lace stuff too. I say Mm -hmm. stuff. I don't really know all the knitting terms. I'm not sorry, guys. Yep. So this is um, (laughs) mohair stripes. So the the neon, what you can see through is the mohair. And then there's lace work in it. So this is a Andrea, this is the Andrea Maori birds of a feather. I feel like I saw that on it like several years ago, like everybody was making it. Um, It's a wonderful shawl. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's very big. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it takes. So my point is, it just takes a long time to knit something. So my what I put out in the world as far as designing or patterns, mm-hmm. like if someone's knitting what I design, like it's such an honor that they are choosing to knit my pattern, and it's going to take X amount of time, and it's such it's just such a cool feeling, and I want like I want to really enjoy the I'm everything's getting replaced in my wardrobe with a hand knit. So as soon as I knit something by hand, a uh, store-bought knit has to go. And so when I moved here, I purged a lot of my wardrobe and I I didn't do any of the like trendy like things. I can't remember what it's called now. Like it's 30 something that the thing that people did like with only 30 items in your wardrobe. Oh, I remember that. I didn't, I didn't do anything like that, but I definitely learned about all of that. And, uh, listening to the minimalist podcast, I, 
I just had like a lot of aha moments Mm -hmm. and it really helped me with my materialism and my shopping addiction. All of those things that, that had ramped up that I never really got, uh, under control. So I got my, my eating disorder, you know, under control I'm in or in remission, whatever you want to call it. And same with my substance use, but there were other things that like, I was still like, I was still buying. We a still lot have of our coping. For, yeah, there's always because yeah. there's an energy behind those things that we do. To yeah, I guess they are numbing somehow. Yep, um, it's the dopamine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, because it's excitement, and then it's also mm-hmm. the numbing. Yeah, yeah. And 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 you know when for me when I purchase something like when I was in my shopping addiction, I was purchasing it in hopes it would make me feel a certain way, mm-hmm. and that was never the case. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, why did work. I need that? I already have three of them yeah, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Um, so it's just like thing. And then also just sustainability. Like there's so many other just good things that are a byproduct of the value system that I've, that has shifted for me right. so much. It is so free. I get so excited talking about it. This is exactly why I want to talk about it and tell other people. So I hope that this information brings them as much freedom and joy as it's brought me. Cause that's really, uh, it's just like such a great feeling not to have all that stuff loading me down. I it know. really did load. It just, it loaded me down. And it also, you know, so the macrame, <laughs> like I'm only making pieces that like a human being has to want that item mm-hmm. for me to create it and put it into the world. You know, and that's one of the reasons that also I loved the dying because I never actually thought I would like dying. And then when Samantha had said, like, okay, so I'm not going to be able to do this in any way. And when I had asked her to teach me, I was like, well, maybe this is my niche. And it just kind of all like, this is it. Yeah. This is the thing. <laughs> it just sparks. So, yeah, it just sparks. So, um. I lost my train of thought. I was going to say something else, but um, we're talking about sustainability and uh, minimalism. Oh, okay. So, so the macrame. So, when I was starting my my fiber art business, had existed before I started doing the dyeing, and you know, I wasn't able to do it. I wasn't. I was like, how are the like? I would like follow you know other people on Instagram. Like, how are these people making like twenty wall hangings? Like. Right. What, what, what time do they have? Like, I have the same 24 hours in a day. Like, mm-hmm. so that balance between me working full time and me pumping out creations. And then, you know, to for someone to buy a piece of art, like, you know, you worked in an art gallery. And, like, it has to really touch you. And I don't yeah. want to just create these things mindlessly. Now, nothing against people who do that. Because there's good money to be made there, and there are people who they 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 there's a market for it, hundred percent. But it wasn't for it was just something I could not maintain. Mm-hmm. I could not maintain it, and so I justified it in my head in that way, like, well, art is really special. I will still create things, and it has to be like so. The big denim piece that I made was for my good friends in uh, in New York, and you know they. We, you know, the commission, I love doing the commissions because the people behind who are, it's going to end up with it. Like they're so excited about it. Yeah. And, and with that piece, they like, I didn't show them anything. 
Oh, really? They, they just they, said when they got it to their house and they opened it up, they had never seen it. Oh, wow. That's that's and the best so, when someone just fully trusts you and it's like, just do what you want. Oh, wait, that's a correction. That's what we were going to do. And then actually, they have a little one. So I wanted them to be able to buy the wall bracket. Oh, so uh-huh. I actually we did FaceTime and I showed it to them, but it was finished. Yes. <laughs> it was like, this thing is done. There ain't nothing that I'm going to be changing. Yeah. About. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> but it was pretty. Yeah. And then when they opened it up, it was the first time they were obviously seeing it. And then, uh, in the flesh oh, or great. in the fiber. <laughs> no, that is the best feeling though, when someone just kind of gives you free reign um, mm-hmm. and no parameters, except maybe size or whatever, but. Yep. And uh, yeah, they wanted denim. They're denim lovers. So oh, nice. they wanted the denim incorporated. And so, yeah. Did you use all uh, recycled denim? Like, did you use stuff that mm-hmm. you'd already and some yurts. Oh, but, awesome. <laughs> because um, actually I took, so I had all this denim. I took it to someone to get a, to laser cut mm-hmm. and he had something uh I don't know what 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 the delay was and then in the end I was like you know I need that <laughs> and then in the end he was like having an issue with family and he was like I'm so sorry I, I can't cut this and I was like oh my god <laughs> oh, no. and I couldn't cut it like it was just too time consuming of a thing he was gonna cut it so it was a lot like in a special way. So mm-hmm. it was like, like, stri- strip, long like strips. what you yeah. do sell. And so I was like, okay, so I'm still going to be able to use re- recycled mm-hmm. from you. Yep. And the, um, because the other thing is, is it wasn't like the, the sheets, the, the denim cloth that I had, I had to wait for him. Cause I was like, well, could you, because I had to drive a little ways to bring it to him when I found that he had a laser cutter because mm-hmm. I searched on the internet for someone with a laser cutter. And so I was like, do you, since you can't do it, do you mind dropping it? So I had to wait. So I never even had the opportunity to like to cut it even if I wanted to. Oh yeah. Cause I had to kind of just wait till he was available to drop it off. But anyways, it all worked out. <laughs> it Interesting. All worked. <laughs> well, no, I keep, so I yeah. keep thinking about um, this idea of minimalism Um and it's so funny mm-hmm. because I I was thinking about it recently, but moving out of New York was like unexpectedly. I just, okay. So I used to always be super obsessed with fashion. And even when I was living there, I wanted to be a fashion stylist. And I would, I like explored that for a little bit. And, um, and I mean, just my whole life, I was obsessed with it, right? My mom is really, is, she's very materialistic. And she's always been like, like, she's the kind of person that's like, you can't leave the house without wearing lipstick. You just never know who you're going to run into. And it's so funny now that I live in the country. I wear like the same four things all the time. I don't shop anymore. And I have yep. literally no desire to shop. And it's kind of, in a way, it makes me sad because I'll, at night, like, I, I'll get that urge. I'll go, oh, maybe if I buy something, like, let's just browse, you know? And so yeah. I go on to whatever website and look for clothes. And I'm like, I don't want any of this. Any of it's this. so crazy to not have that desire anymore because it was in me for 40 years, you know, or whatever, yeah. 37 years. Um, Yeah, crazy <laughs> to not feel that anymore. So now it's so funny when my mom visits, she's like, Ugh, like, oh, are you still carrying that bag? And it's a backpack. You know, so she's like, can I just buy you one? And I'm like, if you want to buy me one, that's fine. So she like, whatever. She bought me a yeah. nice bag. If and something's like, working, it's working. I know. But I, just, I have no – I don't have anyone to dress – this sounds crazy, but 
I guess I did dress for people. I dressed so that I looked good walking down the street. Now I don't walk down the street. I drive everywhere. And I don't care what the other moms, like, I don't actually want to stand out in that way anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that was part, for me, that was part of my healing process. Like, like, why do I care so much what other people think? And honestly, it all stems back to the, to the little kids that I was talking about before. Like the, like just growing up and not being like, never fitting into that certain crowd of people. Mm-hmm. And so I had this irrational belief that if I wanted you to like me, I had to have a Chanel bag. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that is like so effed up thinking. Yeah. Like when, and when I, when that finally clicked for me, it was like so freeing and yeah. And that, and that's, you know, and to talk, yeah. So I have a uniform t- it's like literally a black tank top, black leggings, and then I throw my knitwear on top of that, or my ice dyed, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like that's and 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 I'm okay with it. Like I'm comfortable, and I can work. I it's just it makes sense, and it's okay. Yeah. And if I have to go somewhere where I need to dress up, I have a couple vintage dresses that I kept, and and I use those, and I love them. Yeah. No, it bring and bring me joy. And the thing is, it's um it's like this bottomless pit of not ever having enough not having enough, but not ever feeling like you're looking the way like how do I explain this? Like I don't know how it was for you, but yes, I never felt like I fit in, but I also totally fit in. Like I I achieved in high school, like being popular and all that stuff, but none of it ever filled whatever hole there was. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, you can chase it forever. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, you know how they always say there's always going to be someone prettier. There's always going to be someone richer. There's always going to be someone who has more. And that's exactly it, is that mm-hmm. even if you did look a certain way or achieve a certain weight or like have the best clothes all of that stuff, I think in my life, I almost achieved, you know, and mm-hmm. it still never was enough. You know, it's just, it's so crazy to think that like, I don't know, once you get over that, and you realize that none of that shit works, then it's like, it is, it's beautifully freeing. And I know, and sometimes I think, oh, maybe it's the age that I am. Is this happening to everyone who's 40? Maybe, like, maybe, <laughs> I know. You know. And I'm like, I wish I would know this stuff. I know. You think know, about prior. all the, all the time wasted thinking and the brain space think about how many things we could have either made or the relationships we could have cultivated or I mean think about all that time it's crazy to think it is for for 18 hours a day you'd probably think about what you were going to eat or when you were going to purge or when you were going to get a fix or whatever Mm -hmm. it takes up your entire brain you know and like yeah or what next shopping thing you're going to, whatever, you know, it takes up so much time and there's so, mm-hmm. and now that, yeah, I think it is. That's like, I'm, I'm 42. Yeah. 42. I turn in June. Um, I don't know. After 40, it's all the same, but, um, I know, I forget. How old am I? <laughs> yeah. but it's right. like, it's weird because you do realize it's like you're on the other half kind of, I, that sounds so morbid, but like yeah. there is, <laughs> we just don't have time to waste anymore. You know, yeah. it's like, you just, there's a way better use of our life. And if 100%. if only it is, it's like youth is wasted on the young. And it's so true Yeah, <laughs> to be consumed with the things that we were. 
you know, but I don't know now. And that's why I've, yeah, that's why I've started my gratitude. I've done, been doing it live every morning. Oh, wow. I'm just, I'm just like, I don't know. On your Instagram? Because I haven't, I'm sorry. I'm like like a, I have not been good with my Instagram. I'm just like. Well, we don't, yeah, and it's all good. Um, But yeah, I've been going on, I've been doing, putting it in my stories. So I don't do it live. I do it. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's live. I do the one recording and then I just throw it up there. But um, the, it's, it's in the, it's always in my stories. It's because that's a part of, for me, I have to do that for my recovery. Mm -hmm. And I get so much out of it and it truly, it like, it's so true. Like what we're grateful for, we manifest in our, into our lives. And, um, it happens all the time. I am talking to you right now, Cindy, and I have binge listened to your podcast because you and Christy glass knits have helped me real, like, like who are the other people out there that are creating who, who are the, like, I didn't know certain knitters who they were. I didn't, the way I learned about fiber was all through, um, you know, social media mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. You will. And it's, it's just, this is, we have to do it. We have to be talking about this stuff because there are other people who want to learn it. And it's just, it's such a healing for me, my fiber journey was just very healing and it's very also fresh for me. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's not like that whole time we were, like I shared my story. I was knitting that whole time. No, I only started knitting about four years ago, yeah. you know, and I, and I, and, and doing macrame and just being like, Oh, I really love this. What is this? And my mom was like, Oh, that's macrame. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go find some of whatever this is rope, cord. I didn't know any of the terms at the mm-hmm. time. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to learn this. <laughs> I really like this. And it just, it started from there. And I just kept learning about it, learning about it. And same with the knitting and the yarn. And oh my gosh, when I discovered local yarn shops, it was like, that's when I saw the speckled yarn and I was like, and, in, where and a new I addiction been? begins. <laughs> right. Where have I been? This <laughs> like, and it's just learning about how to make fabric like it's with yarn and like the different kinds of sheep and there's just so much to learn and it's 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 so gratifying yeah so fun and being able to be close with like the earth part of it like the um you know like going from like sheep to producing and spinning and starting yeah. from the ground up i think it's really um it's one of those things that we need the, that kind of connection with not only our hands but with the earth and everything that sort of is provided by the earth um i sound so yes. weird, but like i want to say god but some people don't believe whatever um Higher power yeah whatever yeah yeah no i know yeah. it's really beautiful and, and the, so to marry my thought with that, so I, I get a little uh, tangential. <laughs> no, me too. I get um, it. So I, I think that I manifested being on your podcast because I remember I'd be listening to your podcast. And I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe someday I'm going to be on a podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm creating and I'm doing all these things and and I'm just loving it and I'm wanting to share with other people. And so, you know, I true truly believe that that gratitude practice for anyone is 
it, for me, I have to do it every single day. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope that just to, you know, uh, motivate others to like, just try it out, <laughs> see what happens in your life. Um, cause for me, only miracles have happened. And I know that sounds woo woo, but it is no, true. It doesn't that. happen in an instant, but it does, it does happen. And I am so grateful. Can so, you, I'm so can grateful you, I'm alive. <laughs> I know. Same here. <laughs> um, I'm grateful you're alive. I'm grateful I'm, I'm grateful alive. alive. We've, we've made it through to the, you through. know, to this point in our lives where there was some sort of freedom and understanding and all the learning, you know. Um, can you give an example of, I mean, I guess we could just go to your Instagram, but it, for the lazy people, um, when you do your gratitude journaling, so what do you do? Is there like a certain script that you use or? No. <laughs> it's literally me just so I have my little gratitude journal it's oh I don't have it next to me but it's just a little journal it says gratitude on it um and I put the date it's all blank sheets and I like to try to have like two or three things uh that I'm grateful for and I don't like them always to be like a material item like I'm grateful for my phone or whatever mm. I want it to be things like Cause I, I will just go throughout my day and I'll re- have the real, a realization. Like maybe I'll realize that I've been holding an irrational belief and I, and I like locked into it and I, and I realize it. I share that with people mm-hmm. because I know that there's other people who have the same, like the same kind of stuff. And maybe I can help somebody with that. Mm-hmm. So I, I just share all the, all the things that, that happen not just like I'm grateful for my house. And I mean, all of those things, it, it, that's true. Right. But those but are another, a given, right? Yeah. And another thing, my gratitude journal, you know, it literally, you can go for me, I can go back in my gratitude journal and read other entries and it immediately, cha- <laughs> it immediately changes my perspective. Like, mm-hmm. because some of the, those things I was grateful for a year ago, I forgot about. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like to have them all in one list and it doesn't take but two minutes in the morning while I'm sitting down and drinking my coffee. And one day I was just like, you know, I should share this with other people, <laughs> even when they're silly things that I'm grateful for. Yeah. And I've just, I've been doing it. And I, I mean, I hope that it's helpful for other people, but I, what were don't you don't want it to go to waste, I guess. What was this like, morning's? What did you say this morning? Um, this morning's was about oh my gosh, sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I'm trying to think so I don't have to go grab it. Um, oh, my um, um, getting my okay, so I got a really big order done, and what that has led is so I'm, I always think of like really good efficiencies at work so I can spend more time on client care. If I can do certain things really fast, but still, you know, good quality, then in the end, that means that there's more time for client care. So I wanted to try to, um, like one day I was like, why am I not having my own efficiencies in, in my business. Mm -hmm. Like, like I'm having a little bit of an imbalance here. Like, how am I going to keep up with everything that I'm doing? Uh, and so I've started to create like some more like time management types of things and create efficiencies. And I was able to get a really large, uh, order done. And I, 
that led me into saying, of course, I'm grateful that I got that large order done, but I'm also grateful. Like, this is the reason why. And so there's always like a reason why behind it. And it is because of the efficiencies. And I was actually grateful for my ADHD. So I don't know if that has to do with it, but I am that type of person. Like, like, so it's the weekend and I have to die. So I'm running into here. I'm setting this up. I run out there and I do that thing. And then, okay, Okay, what was I doing? Oh, yeah, I got to die today. And then I run out in the garage and I prep for that. And I'm just kind of like all over the place, but I'm creating efficiencies. So I don't have like all these little piles of things all over the place Mm -hmm. because I can't focus on uh, one thing for too long. And some days I can. I mean, I, my point is, is that's what I was grateful for today is the efficiencies I've created because they are important. Yeah. I think they're important for all of us. And it has led to me being a little, little bit more organized because I'm very organized. But when it comes to my business, it's like I got fiber all over the place. Yeah, it's hard it's like, oh. to be organized when you're working with fiber. Oh, my God. Uh, I can't tell you. It's like my biggest challenge. And dye is messy. Yeah. yeah. It's messy. Like, And so it's just like how can I keep not block my creative space and still be efficient and still be organized. I mean, as organized as fiber can, fiber right. stash can look, right? right? But you know, so yeah, that it's just that's that's been like my latest and greatest kind of thing that has happened is okay. So now I'm starting to people are wanting my product. It's not just like oh, what color should I use today? Right. I'm gonna put some whatever on you know. And my Etsy shop has actually suffered a little bit because I'm doing a lot of wholesale stuff. Which it's is fine. I'm getting all caught up with it, so I can focus on my my store again. But um, but yeah. Oh, I love well, it. I think yeah. I mean, we we hear the idea of gratitude journaling and all this kind of thing, but I don't think I've ever thought truly about putting it into practice. Like I think in prayer, right? In prayer, we do it. Like I do it with my kids. You know, at night, like what are we grateful? Mm-hmm. What are we grateful for? Thank you for our health. Thank you for our family. Whatever. But. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've thought about it on a deeper level. Oh, so this I helps me. I think it, it helps me <laughs> think about the ways that I need to be rethinking things, um, which is awesome. So with your um, with business, and t- we're talking about manifesting, what kinds of things would you like to be achieving or um, sort of developing in the near future? What do you want to put out there? I... I'm just, I really love doing the indie dyed cord and the indie dyed rope. So what I'm trying to put out there is finding, um, you know, sustainable materials. So I like to use Okio text or organic. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is because people are making like baby toys toys and, and, you know, cotton can be, uh, is it's a, if it's not, you know, organic, it Mm -hmm. can be, um, uh, you know, there's pesticides involved and there's just certain things involved. So I liked, I just want to create sustainable product for people. Um, and that's really important to me. And I just want to keep, yeah, I just want to keep, keep doing that and, and delivering it to, um, places that where it will be seen. Cause I'm just like little old me. <laughs> so getting it into, um, places where people will be able to see it and use it, because when you have like this, like a big weaving or a big, you know, macro weave or whatever, having just like another thing 
that's unique, like just like when we knit, like we want that special skein of yarn to go in our, into our sweater or like I want my fiber to be that special skein of rope that goes into, you know, my I just want to be a part of that. Absolutely. I didn't even know that you were wholesaling, by the way, Missy. Uh, <laughs> so it, it kind of um, just happened. <laughs> it was I, I didn't push it. It just kind of happened. Um, so uh, I, w- I purchase a lot of my cord from Modern Macrame because they're local and I mm-hmm. can go pick it up. And um, and then like another uh, ritual dies. I had had a conversation with her and uh, I had left my business card saying, oh, yeah, I create like, here's my business card. We were both from Minnesota. So we we're like just chatting. And and same with um, with Modern Macrame. I didn't ask them to take like, oh, hey, I would make this cool thing. You should sell it. Um, they, <laughs> they had, you know, looked at the Instagram and they they in, invited me as oh, a maker awesome. to, to do that on their website. Yeah. That's and, great. And so it just kind of started happening that way. And uh, I mean, first my store went up, right. And then um, just slowly, I'm, I'm not, I really don't have it on my website to wholesale because I had to wait till I got um, what's called a crazy monkey. <laughs> and the crazy monkey is going to be my saving grace because this thing skeins for me. Oh, nice. I hand, like I have it right here. This is your cord, Cindy. (laughs) Oh, So this is something I, I have to do all of these by hand. Yeah. Because everyone knows, I mean, well, not everyone, maybe I shouldn't overgeneralize, but if you're watching this, like it comes on a spool and it, I can't dye it on the spool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I have to hand warp them. And this, um, this wheel is going to allow that system to, I just, it's a large thing Yes, and I don't know where to put it yet. I have it. I just haven't set it up yet. So that will actually be a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be able to do, to do more (laughs) than I can now. I mean, I definitely graduated from off the floor in this room, (laughs) but, um, I, I still could, it, yeah, more efficiencies will, will be happening. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen if you get too, too busy? Like what if, like, I, I assume that you don't want to put your um, counseling aside, right? You would want to continue right. well, doing that. So I, I have a kind of a goal. Um, this, this is definitely what I want to be doing into retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm doing as much as I can to save, save, save so I can retire early. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been researching a lot about that and making sure that I'm financially organized <laughs> so I can sustain this and do it. Okay. Very nice. Yeah. See, that's it's, something it's, to put out there and I have a goal. Manifest. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome to hear. Wow. This was such a good conversation. Um, I'm so happy that I got a chance to talk to you. And, oh, you know, so thank you for being so open uh, with everything. I know it's not always easy to talk about, but um, yeah, I think hopefully it yeah. makes people feel less alone in their journey and people who are struggling uh, with substance use or eating disorders or mental um unwellness uh you know i hope you feel like 
you are not alone because <laughs> I think many of us actually yes. – I mean, I don't – I have to say I don't think I know anyone who doesn't in some way have some kind yeah. of addiction or coping or something that is an unhealthy habit. So, you know, we're all out here And dealing. that's why it's so important for us to talk about it, yeah. right? Because yeah. like, like where is that he- – when is that healing going to start? Yeah. Yeah. Do you if have you any talking about it? Do you have any words of wisdom for people who for specifically for that since this is your your line of work um uh with the counseling to encourage people yeah, or so, tell them to reach out or I don't know. I don't know how this really works, but what might well, what advice I mean, can you give? Everyone's going to Yeah, everyone's going to be coming from a different area, right? Mm-hmm. But reaching out for help is the first step and it's the hardest thing. Mhm is the hardest thing to ask for help because our ego and our pride get in the way and we don't want to accept or admit sometimes that we have a problem. And, you know, to talk about the how of the program, if you will, it's being honest, open and willing. And that's just the first step. If you can find it to just be honest about any issue you're having, be open enough to listen and ask for help and then to be willing to let that in. Um, can literally be the start of, of a healing journey. It was for me and I didn't even know I was doing it. I didn't know it was called all of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now I do. And so that is what I talk about a lot is the how of the program, honest, open and willing. Well, thank you so much. This is so, I, I think this will be illuminating for so many people. And um, yeah, I just, I'm so happy I got a chance to talk to you on a more personal level. I know for sure, your in, like your intentions with your photo, which by the way are truly pieces of art in themselves. That series, um, oh, I mean, you. so provocative and and for me very poignant. So um, I'm really glad that you had the beautiful idea to po- post that and you know and even take that photo um, because it did definitely help made me soft scrolling <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and um, it's been in my mind since you posted it. Like I haven't stopped thinking about it. So yeah. Um, oh, thank you, you so know. much, Cindy. Yeah. And thank you too for sharing and opening up. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have to talk about it. I we know. Did it. I know we did it. <laughs> A little right. piece was healed inside both of us yeah. today by sharing our stories. So. I think so. Hopefully it'll touch other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, uh, stay on. But uh, we can say bye to everybody. Thanks again, Andy. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Check the show notes of each episode to get the website and Instagram for each of the fiber artists I speak with. Be sure to give them a follow. And you can view video from this podcast on naromastudio.com slash thefiberartistpodcast. If you enjoy the Fiber Artist Podcast, go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you for listening.